just remind you of something because it's biblical that we ought to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. So, so when I left here yesterday after a long day, I happened to turn on the TV and I was watching the end of a baseball game last night. It was the Los Angeles Dodgers against the, the Nationals. I think that's what it was, right? Yeah. And nobody, nobody expected the Nationals to win. I mean, it was a done deal that Los Angeles was supposed to win. And I won't go into all the detail, but the Nationals stunned the Dodgers, and they won the game. And they put the camera, they put the camera on the dugout of the Nationals, and these are grown men, you know, professional ball players. You should have seen how crazy they got. I mean, they, they were doing flips. They were doing all kind of crazy stuff for a baseball game that, trust me, five years from now, you won't even remember who won. But I want to serve notice to you tonight that you and I, we serve the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the great I am. And I don't know about you, but I'm crazy about God. And I want to give my praise offering tonight. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We lift up your name tonight. You are the one that is above every other name. We praise you in this place. We love you. We bless you. And let all the Nyack say a loud amen. 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 I just had to get that out of my system. You may be seeing it. Have a seat. It's good to praise the Lord. And uh, come on, we got seats over here, everybody. Come on, we have seats. If there's a seat next to you, just raise your hand so people will see. Don't play them. Make sure there's a seat next to you so they won't fall on the floor. Come on, right up here, right up here. From... Come on, President Scales was lifting both hands. <laughs> We're delighted tonight that you're here. It's um, sort of like a special chapel in the sense that, well, first of all, the Lord is here. Amen. Amen. But what makes it special for us is the men and women that tirelessly give up themselves. We don't pay them, but they come in a couple of times a year. Some fly in, some drive in, they stay in hotels, and they are what I call the shakers and bakers of this institution. They pray for us, they, they, they plan, they strategize, they come together along with the administration here, the executive team, so that NIAC will be all that God wants it to be. So we appreciate these men and women. They're our trustees, and uh, they've been meeting all day today. Some of them met yesterday, and I want all of our trustees so that we can give you a loud hallelujah. We love you. Come on, all the trustees stand everywhere. Come on, wherever our trustee is. Another time, but anyway, our speaker, <laughs> where'd that go, right? 
Our speaker for tonight, I love him dearly. He is the vice president and the dean of the seminary and our college of Bible and Christian uh, missionary. It's such a long title, I get it confused. I'll let him tell you what it is. But he's been here at NIAC, I think about almost close to 20 years. He came here in 1999. So that's 20 years he's been here. Um, he travels all over the country speaking not just in Christian colleges, but secular colleges, churches, conferences. In fact, he used to live in California, and he pastored in California for a while. He was in Connecticut. When he was in California, he actually taught part-time at Simpson. Is that correct? Yeah. And so we've been gifted to have this great man of God with us for all those years. Come on, let's give a warm welcome to Dr. Ron Walker. Good evening. It's good to be with you. Um, two weeks ago, I was preaching at a church in New Jersey, and in the middle of my sermon, the Lord interrupted me, and he said, this sermon is not for them, it's for you. Listen. Now, how many of you know you preach a lot different when you find out it's for you? <laughs> I'm not going to be as convicting as I thought. <laughs> and, um, and then when uh, Dean Hammond called me on Monday and said that... Uh, uh, the chapel speaker had canceled because of an emergency and asked me, I felt the Spirit say, that word is for Nyack too. So, Lord, uh, we ask tonight that you would speak to us, that you would bring your word to us in a fresh way. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, when my daughter Karis was just little, we noticed that she was very gifted um, at gym gymnastics type activity. And so at the age of five, we thought, okay, she might be a future Olympian. Let's, you know, <laughs> let's put her in a gymnastics program, and we did. And uh, very quickly, she rose to the top of her class, and she was just doing great. And one day, I picked her up, uh, this amazing five-year-old, and, um, and I said, well, Karis, how was gymnastics? And she said, Dad, I was born for gymnastics. <laughs> and I laughed, and I said, yeah, and I wasn't. And she goes, no, Dad, don't ever try what I do. Yourself, you know? And then I realized it was a teachable moment. And I said, Karis, at every stage of your life, you need to ask, am I doing what I was born for? And so tonight I ask you the question, are you doing what you were born for? Because the scripture is very clear that we were born for a purpose, that we have a destiny in God. In fact, uh, all through the scripture, we see this being unfolded. David uh, it speaks of David in Acts 13. It says, when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, then he fell asleep. I actually told my wife a few years ago, you know, 40 years from now when I finally die, at least I'm hoping it's that long, uh, that wouldn't be a bad thing to have on your tombstone. Ron served the purposes of God in his generation. And what more is there? Let's go home. Okay. Uh, another verse you're familiar with is in Ephesians 2. It says, we're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And that means that God has hardwired into you all that you need for life and godliness. He's given you the gifts. He's given you the talents. By his spirit, he has empowered you to do what he's purposed for you to do. So I, I want to suggest that this sovereign plan, this destiny that we all have, it looks different in every single one of us. And, and some of you are called to be teachers and leaders, and some of you are called to serve behind the scenes, 
But there are no menial callings or destinies in God's kingdom. There's only menial attitudes. You were born for a purpose on purpose by the living God. And I, and I think when it's all said and done, when we look back, I think we'll see that a lot of the anxiety, a lot of the depression may be linked in part to the fact that we missed what we were born for. And so tonight, I want to ask the question, uh, how do we fulfill our purpose? How do we become people of destiny? And I want to look at a passage of scripture in Hebrews chapter 11. There's an abbreviated story of a man and a woman named Abraham and Sarah. And, uh, and they became people of destiny. Incredible people of God. And there's some qualities of faith that they exhibit which we can grab onto that I think we can pull off as well. Now, let me set the context for Hebrews 11 before we go there. This, uh, this book was written uh, by an author that's unknown. So whoever, whoever he or she was, uh, this book is written to Jewish Christians who are starting to be persecuted for their faith. And, and because of this persecution, some of them were being tempted to shrink back, to, to leave their walk with Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews says, no, you can't go back. Jesus is your destiny. He's superior. He's greater than anything else this world has to offer. You cannot turn back. And so when he gets to Hebrews 11, then he begins to say, look, here's some people of faith that persevered in spite of the attack, in spite of all that they went through, and they became people of destiny. And, and in that passage, he talks about Abraham and Sarah. Now, one more thing about them. Sometimes when we talk about scriptural characters like Abraham and Sarah, people go, Oh, come on, Ron. They're in the Bible. How can I be like them? i got to tell you something. You have what they only look forward to. See, you and I live on the other side of the cross, the other side of Pentecost. They were looking forward to everything you and I have inherited. So in some ways, you have a greater advantage. We have a greater advantage than they do. Take a look at this passage, and then we'll look at some qualities of faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he is good as dead, how would you like to be remembered in scripture as the guy that was as good as dead? <laughs> came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All right, let me give you five qualities of people of destiny. And I think there are qualities that you and I can embrace. And the first one is this. Though far from perfect, when God calls people of destiny, they will always say yes to God. You see, when, when you read about Abraham and Sarah in the New Testament, have you ever noticed how glowingly they're spoken of? I mean, they're spoken with such adoration and respect that I wonder, did the New Testament writers actually read the Old Testament? Because Abraham is the guy that lied about his wife, okay? Not just once, but twice. My wife would not be that understanding, okay? And, uh, and then, you know, Sarah herself had some issues too, you know? She said, Abraham, quit bothering me, you know? Go get the child of promise someplace else. And so even she had some flaws. But listen, how do you know God only calls the, the imperfect? 
And so a person of destiny, though they're far from perfect, when God calls, they will say yes. Because some of us, when we begin to get a sense of what the call of God is in our life, the enemy shows up like this pious Pharisee and says, how could God use you with that sin, with that problem, with that flaw, with that weakness? And it paralyzes us and we back away. Friends, i got to tell you, the greatest tragedy of your life and mine is not the sins we commit, it's the lives we fail to live. And you need to know that when God calls you and when you begin to step out, in spite of your imperfections, he's really, really good at hitting a moving target. And when you step out, he begins to cleanse, he begins to equip, he begins to empower. But a person of, of destiny, though far from perfect, they say yes. Second quality I see in this passage is this. A person of destiny doesn't have to know every last detail before they obey. Now, if, if you read this text, um, God called them to leave Haran, Ur area, and travel through the Fertile Crescent to a land they've never been to. And it says in the text, they didn't even know where they were going. Now, can you imagine taking a vacation like that? I actually think I have. You know, I've made four kids. And I remember some vacations driving and the kids saying, are we there yet? And I say, I have no idea. I don't have a clue where we're going. But, I mean, if I'm Abraham, I would have asked God for some more detail. You know, what's the weather like? How are we going to get there? What are we going to do for a living? What's, you know, and again, when God calls you, he often, in fact, I'm going to say he never gives you all the details. And he never gives you all the details because if you got a blueprint of where he was taking you, first of all, it would scare you to death. You don't have the faith at 20 for where you're going to be at 40. And, and you don't have the grace to take what he's going to call you into at that early season. And so in some ways, it's his mercy that he doesn't give you all the details. But there's another reason. If he gave me and if he gave you all the details, some of us would try to pull it off on our own. And God's really into this thing called intimacy. And so he doesn't reveal the details so that we will grab on and hang on and say, God, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going to hang on to you. Amen. I remember as a young pastor, God called us to leave a very secure church and move to Redding, California, 3,000 miles away. And he didn't give us any of the details. I didn't know how we were going to make a living. I didn't know where we were going to live. And I remember saying to Wanda, you know, God better go with us because we have no idea what we're doing. I got a job at Radio Shack selling cell phones that were this big. <laughs> and, and, and if you remember those, you're old like I am, okay? In fact, you had to wear a battery pack around your neck so you go mobile, okay? But, um, but you know what? Radical obedience, when you don't know all the details, unleashes radical power. And we watched as God did a miracle. And when we finally said goodbye and came back to the East Coast after 10 years, 1,100 people showed up at that church that we started in Redding, California. Because when you don't know all the details and you say yes, destiny is born. The third quality I see in this passage is this. A person of destiny doesn't have to allow discomfort, and they won't allow discomfort to rob them. Now, in this text, it says that they lived like strangers in a foreign land. And, and some of us know what it's like to go to another country, to have our culture, our status quo challenge. We know how uncomfortable that is. But I, I want to suggest that the greatest discomfort may have been the fact that they lived in tents for the rest of their lives. Now, keep in mind that we know from archaeological evidence that in Ur, they knew how to build actual houses. So there's pretty good evidence that Abraham knew what it was like to live in a permanent dwelling. But once he said yes to God, 
he became a nomad for the rest of his life, as did his son and his, his children and his children's children. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I hate tent camping. <laughs> and, and when my kids were little, Wanda came to me and said, well, we're a family now, we have to go camping. So go buy a tent. I said, where's that in the Bible? And she showed me, you know, not here. And so we went tent camping. It was horrible. Um, it was raining, and uh, I dug a ditch around the tent. Somebody told me you were supposed to do that. And it only succeeded in channeling all the water through the tent. We're laying in the tent, breathing through straws, holding the children in the air. It wasn't that bad, but you weren't there, so... And I remember saying to my wife, you know, I know some people like tent camping and then, you know, tent trailers and motorhomes, but I would rather camp at like a Motel 6 and move up to a Holiday Inn and then a Hilton, you know? <laughs> because I don't like discomfort. Now here's the thing about your destiny. It's not going to be comfortable all the time. And I think one of the problems we face in American Christianity is there's been a form of the gospel preached that says this, add Jesus to your already comfortable life and he'll make you more comfortable. But listen, Jesus is the one that said, if you're going to follow me, you need to keep this in mind. The birds of the air have nests, and the foxes, they have dens, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. But what I'm calling to you, while it's temporarily discomfort, while it's going to be painful at times, there is an eternal glory that you're going to reap that's incredible. It'll be worth it all. But the discipleship he's calling us to is going to involve some discomfort. And if we're going to be people of destiny, we've got to embrace that. Fourth thing in this passage is, a person of destiny doesn't allow doubts to rob <coughs> Doubts to rob them. Now, and keep this in mind. Abraham and Sarah had doubts along the way. We know they did. We know that they were trying to figure out how this child of promise was going to be born. It was 25 years before they saw the fulfillment of it. And we know they had doubts along the way. But Romans chapter 4 says this. They never wavered into unbelief. Now, when God begins to birth destiny in you, you need to know something. If you don't have doubts, it's probably not a God-sized destiny. Because when he births that kind of a destiny in you, you're going to wonder, you're going to question, you're going to say, God, I have no idea how it's going to happen. But there's a difference between that and saying, God, I don't believe. And so when the doubts begin to come, it's what you do with them that's important. I had a friend that... Um, he had a job years ago, this is 30 years ago, and, and he had a job that everybody wanted. He worked for the Forest Service in California. So his job was driving this green truck in the mountains of California. Everybody wanted this job except him. He hated it because <laughs> he was a people person and hated being alone all day. So he told the people that he worked with he was going to quit, and he had this idea to start a coffee roastery. Now remember, this is 30 years ago. There were no such thing as coffee roasteries, okay? And he said, no, I have this dream of this place that sells expensive <coughs> coffee drinks for $4 a cup. And they're all like, coffee's only 50 cents a cup. It's never going to work. He goes, no, no, I have a dream for it. And, uh, and they all discouraged him. And they all basically said, your dream is crazy. Well, he beat Starbucks into our town. And his coffee roastery was so successful that he opened another one and then another one. And you know what? He had the time of his life making coffee and talking with people all day long. Now, here's the lesson from that. When God begins to birth destiny in you, be very careful who you share it with. Yeah. 
Because if you share it with someone that does not have faith, that does not have vision, they will try to turn your doubt into unbelief. But if you share it with people that will get on their knees with you, then they'll wrestle with you through the doubt, through the problems, through the fears, and it'll never turn into unbelief. It'll turn into destiny. Well, the final quote I see in this passage is this. A person of destiny will allow their destiny to be shaped more by their destination than their past. Okay, let me say it again. You have to allow your destiny to be clarified, shaped, and motivated more by where you're headed than by where you've been. Now, for instance, in this passage, it tells us that Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Verse 15 says, if they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. So what that's saying is, that if you have your eyes on who you used to be, you're never going to inherit who you're becoming. If you allow your past to determine your future, you're going to be locked in. And there are people in your life that are going to try to hold you back to who you used to be. But listen, I want to tell you something. Two years ago, I weighed 315 pounds. I just ran my first half marathon. There's nobody more surprised than me, okay? But here's why I'm telling you this. Radical transformation is possible. You don't have to be who you've always been. God has a future for you that is brighter than your past. And you know what's true for individuals is true for institutions. I love our history. I love our heritage. But we cannot allow our past to determine our future. We have to allow our destiny to be clarified, shaped, and motivated more by where we're headed than by where we've been. Let me give you one example of this, and I'll close. Um, I went to a church camp when I was growing up called Mahaffey. Anybody ever been to Mahaffey camp? Yeah. There was a couple people, okay. And uh, I was a preacher's kid, and I was asked to leave early a few times at that camp. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, now I'm a professor at Nyack. This is uh, a few years ago, and the district superintendent from that region called me up and said, you know, Dr. Walborn, would you come and be the evening evangelist at Mahaffey Camp? And I said, are you going to let me stay the whole week this time? <laughs> and he said, we'll see. <laughs> uh, so I went back to where I grew up. Any of you ever go back to where you grew up? So I went back and I preached, and it was a great week. I mean, God met us in incredible ways. It was, it was an awesome time. Um, but all week long, I, I had people coming up to me going, hey, Ron. Do you remember when you did this? Do you remember when you did that? They're pulling out all my history, okay? And uh, at the end of the week, uh, the leader of the, the district, his name was Paul Merzervi, some of you know him, he came up to me and he said, Dr. Walborn, uh, we've really enjoyed the week, but I have a question for you. Has it bothered you that people have reminded you of your past all week long? I said, nah, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me for two reasons. First of all, they don't know the half of what I actually did. <laughs> if that's all they know, let them tell their story. But the second reason, the second reason it doesn't bother me is that's no longer who I am. Because, you know, the Lord pulled me out of that region and then sent me to California so that I could grow into my destiny. Friends, sometimes the Lord has to move you before he can birth the new. Sometimes he's got to transition you to a new place so that you leave the old baggage behind so that you begin to say, that's no longer who I am. 
I am going to walk in the fullness of everything my God has first and best. One other part of this passage I want to show you, and we'll close. There's a verse in verse 16. It says, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. And when I saw that, I thought, wow, that would be incredible. You get to heaven and you hear, well done, now good and faithful servant. God is proud to be called. You know, I'm your God. And yet I wonder, are there Christians that on that last day, there's a sense of disappointment in the heart of God? Now, not rejection, because I, I don't believe he'll reject us, but the scripture tells us that one day we're going to give an account for the deeds that we've done in this life. Did we fulfill the purposes of God, or did we live for less than his purpose? It says in two places in Revelation that Jesus is going to wipe every tear from our eye. And we're not told why those tears are there, but I've wondered if maybe we look back in light of God's glory and we see what might have been, and we say, oh God, I had no idea that you gifted me for that. I had no idea. God, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry I, I lived such a safe life. I'm sorry, Lord, that I didn't go for it. I'm sorry that I didn't live the fullness of what I was born for. But friends, I believe that the opportunity now is to say, now I'm going to live for destiny. I have this vision of what it's going to be like when the role is called up yonder in heaven. And I don't know if it's right. Don't quote me on this. But it's my imagination. This is my moment, so I'm going to tell you my imagination. <laughs> so I have this picture of this giant hall. And the angels are flying around, and the saints of the ages are gathered, and the throne of God is in the front, and the, Lamb of, the, the Lamb's Book of Life is thrown open, and the names are being read. And <coughs> Billy Graham, his name is read, and Billy Graham comes forward with no more sickness, no more pain, and the place goes crazy. <sighs> Cheers as Billy Graham comes forward. And then Mike Scales, and Nyack goes nuts. <laughs> you know? You can hear the trustees over everybody else. You know? And then Ron Walborn's name is read, and my mother claps for me. It's like, but then, then there's a name read, Mildred McGillicuddy. And the angels go nuts. It's the loudest angelic applause of the day. But the saints are like giving the polite golf clap. And Mildred McGillicuddy, who's that? Who's that? And then the lamb, the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth rises to his feet. And he says, well done, now good and faithful servant. Amen. She never preached a sermon. She never led a church. She never did anything that anybody saw. But she lived in the middle of nowhere. But when I called her to pray, she rose and she dropped to her knees and she prayed. And when she prayed, missionaries were sent. And when she prayed, revivals broke out. And when she prayed... The kingdom came on earth. Because there's no menial destinies in God's kingdom. There's only menial attitudes. Somebody said to me years ago that if we sow a thought, we reap an action. If we sow an action, we reap a habit. If we sow a habit, we reap a character. If we sow a character, we reap a destiny. May it be so today. Will you stand with me? Jesus... I want to pray an audacious prayer right now. Would you birth destiny in this place today? Would you birth it in the hearts of men and women? Would you birth dreams that if they shared those dreams, people would think they're crazy? 
But Lord, I, I, I ask that you would birth dreams for the impossible, dreams for the supernatural, dreams that no one else would believe. Lord, we want some God-sized destiny here today. And Lord, what we ask for individually, we ask for as an institution that Nyack and Alliance Theological Seminary would inherit the fullness of destiny you have for us. And so we say yes to you. We're not going to give up. We're not going to give in to doubt and fear and discomfort. We're going to go for it. We're going to allow our future to be shaped more by where we're headed than where we've been. We're thankful for our heritage, but that's not who we are. We are who you say we are. And so in Jesus' name, we break off all the curses, all the limitations, all the things that have been spoken over us. Lord, we are not who we used to be. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we say yes to everything you have for us.